As some of you may know, I am a dad. I have a two-year-old daughter, and her name is Copeland. I actually brought a picture. There she is. Isn't she just the sweetest little thing ever? Gosh, it's like, ugh. It actually kind of makes me mad a little bit how cute she is because she gets away with everything. Ugh. Anyway, so something you may not know about my sweet little girl is that she loves bubbles. Like, she loses her daggum mind over bubbles. She turns into like a slobbering, crazy person over bubbles. Now, me personally, I don't really get the whole bubble thing, mainly because I don't like, she pours the bubble stuff all over me, and I don't like being sticky and like wet all the time. I just don't, I'm not into it, okay? I'm sorry, I don't get the bubbles. Anyway, so this one time, Copeland is playing, and I'm getting the diaper bag ready because we have to be somewhere. And when Papa Tatum is in charge, we're on a schedule. We have to, if we have to be there at 2, we are there at 1.45, no later. And so I'm getting snacks. I'm getting shoes. I'm getting diapers. We are prepared, people. We're going on a journey. Follow me. So my mom walks in the house and announces to the world, Sean, I got more bubble solution. And my daughter, who is over here playing, like, <laughs> bubbles. Bubbles! Oh! She's like losing her mind, just going crazy, slobbering. There, I mean, there's like snot bubbles because she's so excited. Do you ever get that way? You're like so, me either. This is totally not important. Anyway, so now I'm like, now I have to be the bearer of bad news and tell my sweet, the most joy-filled two-year-old I've ever seen in my life, that she doesn't get to blow bubbles right now because we have somewhere to be. And I literally get to burst her bubble. Uh, yeah, you guys didn't like that joke. That's fine. Anyway, and so at this point, I have a decision. Do I let her still be upset and ruin her entire day, or do I come to her rescue and say, don't worry, we're going to blow bubbles all the rest of the afternoon when we get home. But at this point, the fit is getting so much worse. The temper tantrum is getting out of control. She's less of a toddler and more of like a wild animal snarling and like drooling and getting violent. And, and uh, so now I'm, uh, she's crying. And not just like, uh, uh, like wimpy tears. These are like you're watching the first 15 minutes of Up while cutting an onion tears. These are like, <laughs> bubbles. And, and so like I can start to hear my pulse and my temples and it's getting really stressful. I'm getting really sweaty. And like my pulse is just getting louder. She's getting louder. And I'm like, do I cut the red wire or do I cut the blue wire? Now I get that that's a little over dramatic for this situation, but I'm a sucker for dramatic. So stay with me. But uh, guess who was the hero? This guy. I walked up. I was like, you know what, Dad, or baby, it's fine. Daddy to the rescue. We're going to blow bubbles all afternoon when we get home. She's like, yay, Daddy. I'm like, uh-huh, that's right. And uh, that's, that's exactly what God does for us. God is our daddy, and he loves us. So he makes us promises that he will never break. Tonight, we are going to be looking at the story of Joshua and three promises from God that he claimed in his life. Now, Joshua shows up in the book of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and wouldn't you know it, the book of Joshua. Now, Joshua was a warlord, which basically means he was put on this earth to kick tail and take names. And, like, he was a man, and, like, the kind of man that smells like strong coffee and jet fuel. Like, imagine Gerard Butler on a motorcycle fighting a tiger with nothing but a pen and his intensive understanding of mechanical engineering. Like, that's what we're dealing with here. He is strong 
and, and good looking. He can play guitar and sing really well. Wait a second. That's our Joshua. How crazy is that? So anyway, he was just a mean warrior filled with the righteous anger of the Lord. And at this time in the Bible, Moses is in charge. And Joshua is Moses' assistant, his right-hand man, his general of his armies. So we're going to start tonight in the book of Numbers in chapter 13. I need some water. God has freed Israel from Egypt. That's good. Where they were all held in slavery. And God took them out of Egypt to bring them to the land of Canaan, or the promised land. Now, the Israelites kept being dumb and doing things like worshiping idols and complaining constantly. And just, isn't complaining the worst? When somebody's just always got a bad attitude, I hate it, and so does God, so don't complain. Anyway, so they're stuck in the desert because of their bad attitude for like 40 years. They're just wandering in the desert for 40 years. And finally, after all this time, the Lord tells Moses to send men into Canaan to spy out the land, one leader from every tribe. So Moses sends them out to the promised land to check out the people that were in it, their cities, and what, land, what the land had to offer. And Moses says to them, and I always imagine that Moses had like this big burly voice, and he says, Bring back many good fruits from the land. And that's what I think Moses sounds like. So there's a little tidbit about Sean. So they go and they spy out the land. They travel to the far reaches of it. They go all over the place looking in caves, turning over rocks, having rad adventures like punching bears. Just 12 dudes out in the woods having a good time. And then they stumble upon some pretty crazy stuff like the descendants of Anak who were freaking giants. Like you remember Goliath? That, you know, like 12 feet tall. That's what I'm talking, giants. And after they find the giants, they come to a place called the Valley of Eshkol. And there, God gives them a taste of a promise, a seed of hope. They found grapes. But not just any grapes. They found mega grapes. I actually have some mega grapes over here. This is what it could, they're not actually grapes because you're not going to find grapes this large. And so I have my two very strong men, one of them being Joshua, carrying these uh, grapes. So the grapes were so big that when they cut down a branch, it took two grown men to carry it. And that's just one cluster. Ooh. Yeah, Josh, right? Excuse me. Thank you. And so there's, this is a cluster. So there's like 15 to 20 watermelon-sized grapes in that. That thing weighs like 100 pounds right there. I, I, it, that's, how crazy is that? Grapes so substantial that they actually ended up naming the valley after them. See, Eshkol in Hebrew means cluster. And so this is, this is God right here. This is their, he's setting them up. And we'll find out about that in just a moment. So the spies returned to Moses and to the rest of the Israelites after being in Canaan for 40 days. They bring a report to all of Israel about what they discovered. Now, this is where things get tricky. You see, the Israelites, like the, the chiefs, they bring back they bring back the grapes. They bring back reports of, like, there's awesome food. There's pomegranates. There's figs. There's grapes. It all tastes really good. But then they start talking about the people who live there. And things get weird. So... They start talking about how the people who live there have like heavily fortified cities and they're bigger and stronger than we are and there's giants everywhere and we're total babies and chickened out except for Caleb and Joshua. They were the only ones who believed that they could take the land and they were right. 
You see, God promised them this land. He promised them his blessings, and he promised that he would deliver their enemies into their hands. Not to mention, Israel had an army of over 600,000 men. The Lord set them up to literally taste his goodness, and they absolutely chickened out. So this causes a panic in the nation of Israel. They freak out over the report, and they decide not to go after the promised land. There's a reason Canaan is called the land of milk and honey. And there's a reason it's called the promised land. Because God promised this land to the Israelites. And it's the first thing that God promises us here. His provision. And that's point number one. Is taste his provision. God always gives us a taste of the blessing ahead. He always gives us a seed of hope. And God promises us provision. Provision is defined as the action of providing or supplying something for use. That means God is saying he will always provide or supply everything you need. Matthew 6.26 says, Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you for, far more valuable to him than they are? So if God provides for the birds, certainly he will provide for you and me. God brought them to Eshkol to show them his provision, and in a large way, no less. He showed them the he showed them something they can physically experience, that they could taste the provision. They could, I mean, they're grapes. They could literally eat and taste his provision. So take a look at your own life and see how God has provided for you. Where has God placed a seed of hope? What has he given you a taste of to get you through? Maybe he has provided you with a vision of something in your future. Maybe he answered a prayer in a stressful situation. Maybe you got a check from grandma that you weren't expecting. Perhaps God continually puts a specific symbol in your path to give you hope to keep going. He always gives us a taste of provision. God promises us he will provide. Story time. Moses has now passed away at the ripe old age of 120, leaving the people of Israel without a leader. So God promotes Joshua. And God says to him, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I have promised to Moses. Now, in order to claim the promised land, the nation of Israel must cross the Jordan River. And everywhere the nation of Israel goes, they carry what's called the Ark of the Covenant. And here's a picture, so you have a visual. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a giant gold box that carries the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that lives in me and lives in you lives in that box. They carry it on those poles because if you touch it, you'll die. So early one morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left their camp and headed towards the Jordan River. There they set up camp and hung out for a few days. And after about three days, the Israelite officers went throughout the camp and telling everyone these instructions from God. God says, when you see the Levitical priests carrying the ark, move out from your positions and follow them. And since you have never traveled this way before, stay about a half mile back and follow the priests. Make sure you don't get any closer. Because if they get any closer, the presence of God will kill them dead. Like, flush your goldfish down the toilet, dead. Like, bury your sister's hamster in the backyard because you fed it too much, dead. God is beginning to show us another promise, his protection. He knew that the Israelites had never been to Canaan before. And he made it so his presence would go before them and guide them. How cool is that? Like you always hear people in church say things like, just let him guide you through this. Let him go before you. And it seems like a really weird thing to tell someone who's going through something hard. But right there, 
Right there in the Bible, he literally does that. He actually goes before them and guides them through it. Now, the nation of Israel is ready to cross the Jordan. Now, the Jordan isn't like you're running the Mill Creek. It's not like the Colorado River here. It's a BFR. Big freaking river. And, and it was flood season. And I actually have a clip of the Jordan in flood season so that you know what it looks like. What? Are you, those are like real trees. Okay, that's, that's good. You can stop it there. Yeah, so that's what we're dealing with here. God just called this nation to just casually stroll across this raging river. No big deal, right? Well, if God leads you to it, he has a plan to lead you through it. Joshua approaches the Lord, and God tells him, when the priests reach the edge of the water, take a few more steps and then stop. And I can only imagine what Joshua's thinking. He's like, um, uh, are you serious, God? Have you seen the river? It's bonkers out there right now. Like, I can't lead a whole nation. You, you know what a nation is, right, God? Like millions of people. I can't lead a whole nation across this raging river. Sure, the small ones are probably light enough to float across, but what, there's no way I'm getting all these people over there. They will die. But Joshua remembers how God has provided for him in the past. He remembers that God has promised this land to the Israelites and wouldn't lead them into death. God promises us his protection. Now, understandably, it would be hard to trust that in this moment. They're standing on the bank of this river that is flooding and is overflowing with danger, and they are filled with doubt. But Joshua remembers the promises of God and declares this over his people. The priests will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, and as soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. And in an act of great faith, Joshua declares this. The priests move forward into the water, and sure enough, right before their eyes, the river stops completely. I like to think of this, that this would be like, and the crowd goes wild! Woo! And the Israelites are just like doing backflips and losing their minds because God is so awesome and totally proved himself right there. And God tells us to see his protection. And that's point number two. See the protection. God gives us a visual example of his protection. He made a river stop completely. They walked across it on dry land. When you let him and his presence go before you, he will protect you. God promises that. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God promises to protect you when you're at school or at the movies with your friends. He promises to protect you by convicting you to make the right decisions. Think about a time when God went before you and protected you from immediate danger. This makes me think of a time where I was working in the shop here at the church, and um, I like to weld. It's kind of a hobby. And so at this time, I had just started. So I'm using an angle grinder, which if you don't know what that is, is basically a motor with a big piece of sandpaper on it that spins real fast and could hurt you really bad. And so I'm using an angle grinder to get the rust off of this, this piece of steel I'm about to weld on. So it's just like, and I feel God be like, hey, Sean, you should probably look up. And I was like, yeah, okay, just a minute, God, I'm busy. As if I can tell the creator of the world that I'm busy. Like, idiot. And so I'm just like, Meh. he's like, Sean, no, seriously, you need to look up. And I'm like, okay, whatever, give me a minute, I'm busy. He's like, no, now. 
And so I look up, and there, sitting in front of me on the workbench, is a pile of rags on fire. And not just a flaming pile of rags, a flaming pile of rags laying up against a can of spray paint and WD-40, which in case you didn't know, are both highly flammable. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't clear off the workbench like I was supposed to, like a good welder would. And God totally saved my butt. You see, if those cans had exploded, I wouldn't be here telling you that God promises to protect you no matter what. I wouldn't be here to tell you that God promises to protect you when you're being careless, when you're making bad decisions. He promises to protect you always. How has God protected you in your life? Has he kept you safe in a scary situation? Maybe you almost got in a fight and for no reason the other guy didn't show up. Maybe you're driving your car and at the last sec, maybe you're snapping while you're driving, you know, making that bad decision. We've all been there, right? Looking at you, Brittany. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and so you're, you're not paying attention to the, to the road and all of a sudden you just like snap out of it and you swerve and you almost hit somebody on a bike, but God saved you in that moment. See his protection in your life. Story time. Jump ahead to the end of Joshua chapter five. Now, Joshua was, was by a city called Jericho, and this is like the final conquest of his promises. This is like, the oh, moment, here's Jericho. And so Joshua is just out for a walk, kind of praying, and uh, he looks up, and behold, a man standing there staring at him with his sword drawn. Now, naturally, you would be a little uncomfortable in that situation, wouldn't you? If you were just walking along, and you look up, and there's just some guy like, And so Joshua, naturally, because he's a super rad dude, is like, are you friend or foe? And the guy, the commander, or the, the guy is like, neither. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Oh, what? Are you serious? Like the commander of heaven's armies? And so Joshua falls to his face and starts worshiping God. And he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? To which the commander replies, who, by the way, scholars think was Jesus. And that's a whole other can of worms we can open another time. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Now, the first time I read this, I was imagining the commander was going to say something really, really epic and scary, like, I am going to slay all of your enemies and go before you and burn down this silly little town. Nope. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I was expecting God to show himself in a mighty display of war, but he instead showed himself to Joshua very simply. Think about it. Where's the one place you are always barefoot? It's your house, right? Your home. Well, okay, maybe not all of you, but most of you, like a normal person, doesn't wear shoes in their house because it's the only place that your feet are safe aside from the occasional Lego brick or like maybe... Anyway, the occasional Lego brick left in the carpet, it's a place you can trust enough to walk around completely vulnerable. And that's what God was saying to Joshua here. He was saying, you can trust me because this is my house. So Joshua showed himself humble before the Lord, and the Lord returned favor to him. The city of Jericho heard that the Israelites were now living in Canaan and got real scared. So they shut it down, and they shut it down hard. Jericho was a walled city. 
And the wall was probably about 30 feet high. So the peak of the roof in here in 4640 is 36 feet. So imagine a wall as tall as this building going all the way around Grand Junction. That's what we're working with. So when I say they shut it down, I mean they shut it down. <laughs> like, no one gets in, no one gets out. And then God just casually says to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and all of its mighty men of valor. Now, I don't claim to be a mind reader, but what I feel like Joshua in this moment was probably like, how in the world? God, this city is on lockdown. How can it be delivered into my hands if I can't even get in the front door? How am I even a threat to these people if the only thing that can get in that city are the birds? So please, Lord, explain to me how this fortress is going to be delivered into my hand. And guess what? He does. God just like specifically says this. He says, you shall march around the city with all your men of war going to the city. You shall do this for six days. Seven priests shall bear trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now, those are some pretty dang specific instructions. Boy, howdy. I mean, asking you shall receive. Am I right? You know? But Joshua, again, remembers that God has provided for him and God has protected him time and time again. So Joshua gathers his army and the priests and they march around the city of Jericho. They follow the, they follow the Lord's instructions exactly for six days. For six days, they got up early, they put on their armor, they kissed their wives goodbye, they grabbed their lunches and they went off to war. You know, just boop, 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 You know, like space balls, anybody ever seen that? Okay. A little before your time. Anyway, so, I mean, the soldiers would be really confused by that tactic, right? And the, can you imagine explaining that when you came home? Like, hey, honey, how was your day at war? Uh, well, we, uh, we marched around the city. We listened to some really cool music. And then we came home. Oh, so you, uh, you didn't take the city. No, no, sure didn't. Nope. And then again for the next day, and then again the next day for six days. For six days. And I also wonder if some of the priests got like bored playing the same song over again, and then they started to improvise, maybe play a little jazz. Maybe they started playing rock songs that are like, getting you pumped for war, like, we will, we will rock you. Come on. Let me no? Okay. We will. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. It's fine. It's fine. But on the seventh day, God delivered their promise to them. They got up and they headed to Jericho. They marched their laps around the city. They listened to the same song. And then they shouted. And then boom! And the walls came crumbling down! Fun fact. Did you know that that song is written about this story? I actually don't know if that's true. I just said that right now. So the city walls fall flat, just completely obliterated. He promised to take the city and deliver it into their hand like a little baby bird. And boom, he did. Oh, I just killed the baby bird. Gross. No problem at all. God promises us the same victory. And that is our third promise to claim. Feel the victory. Not only does God promise us victory, but he promises to fight the battle too. The Lord's victor, victory for us is seen in so many different ways. 
It could look like not giving into peer pressure to try drugs or standing up for what you know is right. Try to remember a time where he showed himself faithful to you and won the battle you were struggling through. Deuteronomy 20 verse 4 says, For the Lord your God is going with you. He will fight for you against your enemies and he will give you victory. Our lives can be so much easier and we can experience so much more favor and blessing when we remember what God promises us. When you can see the way God has stayed true to his word and come through for you time and time again. (sighs) It's just so good. Like I get so excited on the inside about it because he promises these things. He promises to overcome the battle. He promises to provide food for you, clothes for you. How many of you like just randomly will find money in like a, like a sweater pocket? And then you're like, oh, sweet, Taco Bell, rad. That's God providing for you. He promises to provide victory for you. Maybe you're taking a test at school and you did not study. You are not prepared, but you nail it. Woo, through the uprights. Like, and maybe you're playing sports. <laughs> That's funny, Put through the uprights. And then you're playing sports and you beat your personal best. And like, like Josh. Yeah, 205. He told me that earlier today, wherever he is. Know the promises God has in your life. Sometimes it's hard to imagine that our lives can turn out just like these great men in the Bible. But here's the truth. These promises apply to us too. It's not just for Joshua, not just for the Israelites. It's for you too. Right now, I am believing and claiming and hoping for a promise of God too. You see, I've got some really heavy struggles going on in my life. I've got a really big battle that I still have to fight. And... I couldn't get up day after day after day and do it over and over again, the arduous process of going through what I'm going through without these promises. You see, God has promised me things about my destiny. He has promised me things about my future. There's just a mountain that I have to climb in the way. There's just a walled city I have to overcome. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. (laughs) And here's my sail with all the wind in it. Here's the thing, God promised to protect you, he promised to provide for you, and he promised to give you victory. So whatever it is you're going through, it is not too big for God. It, is just, it ain't no thing for God. He will just deliver whatever you need. What are you waiting for? What is your promise you're hoping for? Are you hoping for a happy home? Maybe you're hoping that your parents' divorce will just magically go away. Maybe you feel like you're not hearing from God and you're just hoping and waiting and wishing that he'll give you a touch. Whatever it is, we can overcome these battles by declaring what God promises us over our lives and over our fights every day. I want everybody in here to close their eyes. And in your own heart of hearts, with no one looking around, I want you to declare these promises over your fight right now. And I'm gonna pray a prayer of blessing and declare these promises over us right now. Lord God, we love you. And God, we know that nothing is too big for you, no matter what fight it is, no matter if it's I have a problem with drugs, no matter if it's I'm I'm being sexually impure with my boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is, Lord, it is no problem for you. So God, we promise to declare these promises over our life. Jesus, we declare that you will provide, that you will protect, and that you will overcome the fight for us. You will give us that victory because God, 
you already did when you died on that cross for us. Jesus, you looked us in the eye. You experienced that pain we went through. You already know it. And Jesus, you still said, I choose you. I still promise you that. God, I pray that you would bless all of these students in here, all of these Orange Team members, everybody in this room. I pray that you would bless them with your abundance, that you would bless them with your provision and your protection and your victory, God, because you are good. And we've tasted, we've seen, and we've felt your presence. Lord, I ask that this week you would start to show these students new facets of your character and new ways that you provided for them and protected them and gave them victory. God, we love you so much and we give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.